Greetings, range seekers, and welcome back to the Bendability Podcast with me, Emmett Lewis, the Splits Wizard. Uh, we are continuing on our forays into the epic tome, Stretching Scientifically by Thomas Kurz. Uh, we're into part three of this episode, where we'll be finishing up the practical sections and giving commentaries on that. So grab your notes from last time and tune in. Make sure you know we are using the current fourth edition of Stretching Scientifically. You are able to get this on stadion.com and on Amazon and probably basically anywhere else that sells books. Uh, as I've said before, and I will say again, it is a must-have for your range-seeking library. Uh, is range-seeking libraries a thing? I think it is. And uh, yeah, it belongs on your shelf. So you should definitely pick up a copy of that. I'm not certain I'm giving the page numbers based on the fourth edition paperback. Uh, it might be different around, but you should be able to keep track roughly. Uh other than that, let's get to it. So we're now on to chapter five of isometric stretching, uh, page 49. So passive flexibility usually exceeds active, static and dynamic flexibility in the same joint. Uh, the greater the difference, the greater reserve intensity or flexibility reserve and the possibility to increase in the amplitude of active movements. Uh, yes. Does the kind of interesting thing of uh, static passive stretching in a lot of cases that I've come across, people can display more range of motion in an isometric position. And this is quite common in side splits, and it's definitely the case in my side splits. If I slide out passively and just even hang out for quite a long time, it just kind of stops at a certain point. Once I turn on the muscles of the right way and squeeze, then I just drop into it. Same with front splits as well. So it's not, I think it's to do with the apprehension reflex and a lot of the control and this kind of thing that we can, if we're in control of the movement, the body has sense of control, it will be less apprehensive to enter the positions. So while it is the case, it's not always the case, like he says here, and it is something to, obviously the goal would be to be floppy in all positions, but it can not be the case for yourself, particularly if there's been injuries in the zones in the past, is where I see tend to see this most. If you've had hamstring strains, calf strains, surgery, whatever, generally a level of contraction in the muscles is needed to a certain degree to display maximum flexibility in these positions. So, you know, we don't take it as gospel, but uh, self-experimentation is the goal. Uh Doing static stretching alone does not guarantee an increase in dynamic flexibility equal to the increase of static flexibility. Uh, once again, yeah, we agree with this because dynamic motions have different coordinations and different speeds, require different coordinations of the body, and different demands even on balance. So yes, we need the more controlled positions to be as high as they can be, but it is pretty common to... Uh, I can remember when I go back to my kickboxing adventures, the coaches there could easily kick me in the head. Um, a huge amount of them could not touch the toes. Uh, let's face it, they're not my size. They're small Thai guys who were machines and, you know, head and shoulders shorter than me. Yet it was no problem for them to meet the front teep. So, yes, no, and maybe. But that is the kind of thing that uh, if you train, like it comes down to what do you train specific, specificity. Oh, I can't even say that in the word. Uh, specific needs and demands are answered by the body and the organism depending on what it does and what it is exposed to and what task it has to solve in the environment uh, here's an interesting one uh, 
Uh, isometric stretching is the fastest method of developing static active, passive flexibility. It also improves active flexibility as well, uh, strength in concentric, isometric, and eccentric actions. No argument there. Uh, there are indications that it causes longitudinal growth of muscle fibers. Uh, yeah, we now know that it will add sarcomeres in series. So definitely want longer muscles and uh, hyperplasia that way. Uh, we know this from the birdwing studies. We know this from uh, other places. I think there's some better quality research going on at the moment on humans. So we can get longer muscles, longer muscle fibers, but not necessarily longer muscles origin to insertion. Something to bear in mind. Now, uh, caution in a box. So once again, we know it's important. If you neglected your strength training or were doing it incorrectly, isometric stretches may harm your muscles. Uh, yes, this is something I have encountered. It's something, uh, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Uh, I can remember there was a side split routine going around from Martial Arts Planet that involved uh, increasing time and duration time and intensity of side splits or front splits uh, going up to three minutes and I received a huge amount of emails from people who had injured themselves using that and I'm not it's not really a comment on the routine I have my own comments on that but uh, it's more people were not prepared for this type of intensive stretching and ended up with grade one or two muscle tears because of it uh, yeah as I said it's nothing really to do with the routine it's to do with the preparedness of the candidates going into the routine so it's definitely one of the things we know. We know resistance training and getting bigger, thicker muscles aids in injury, and strength is always good. So you know, make sure you're doing your strength training. The other thing is, like at the end of the day, isometric and stretch positions is strength training. So making sure that you're not pushing the progress too quickly, and having some kind of logical way to increase the depth of your stretches that isn't going beyond that. It's very common with isometric stretches, particularly when you're doing multiple sets of them, to start going deeper and deeper on each set because of the facilitation that happens. And then you can end up in positions that are too deep or the tissue that is now under load because of the geometrical changes in the body is not prepared for it. And uh, it's always better to play it safe and always come in. And you also mightn't have a, kind of any duration in reserve so there's a description of when you're ready for isometric stretches going on. It's worth reading. Uh, the pain thing, yes, we agree with it in some ways, but we can also train through it. Uh, there's a quote here. Muscle soreness is accompanied by loss of strength and by shortening of the muscles, most pronounced on the second day after the overly strenuous exercise. Uh, those... Uh, those who exercise on a rigid schedule, for example, every other day, despite being sore after the previous workout, may see their progressive their flexibility getting progressively worse rather than better. So it's one of these things that uh, is muscle soreness really correlated with this? And uh, I've kind of you know I have my own thoughts on this. Depending if you're increasing your range of motion or not, is one of these things. Like I done these squat everyday programs for quite intensively. And I can remember setting like lifetime PRs on the squat on days like, well, every day was a day after, but days when I was intensely dumbed, but I was still able to go through it. So yes and no. I think there's a lot of research lacking in this. There's not a lot of research done on squatting every day or strength training every day. And, you know, there is a short-term decrement, but a longer-term increment can happen as your body gets used to it. So it is something to bear in mind. 
the next one I want to talk about, though, is uh, those who exercise on a rigid schedule, for example, every other day, despite being sore for, after the previous workout, may see their flexibility getting progressively worse rather than better. Uh, interestingly enough, after my first kind of forays into, uh, into uh, everyday squatting, I was having amazing results out of 20, 30 kilos to my squat. And, uh, you know, I'll probably, if people are interested in, I'll post the exact routine on that one because it's worth trying. And uh, shout out to my Bendy apprentice, that Bendy bitch, or basic Bendy bitch on Instagram. Isaac, he has an article about squatting every day on Medium that you could check out as well, and auto-regulating. And also Matthew Perryman, if I remember the name correctly, had a book, Squat Every Day, which was uh, fantastic. For I use it as a guide for my programming, so check them out. Uh, but I did, on the success of the squat every day, I was like, okay, I was, I was, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, or was it ten years ago, whatever, some sometime in the past before Instagram and before everything when social media was awesome it was never awesome anyway uh, I decided to I was like okay I'm gonna it's like when I was gonna rehab my wrist and rehab my leg I was like okay I, you know I was progressing nice doing splits everything was coming back I was like okay I'm gonna try this everyday splits because like okay I had splits in the past it shouldn't affect me too much, and I should be able to gain the strength quite quickly to display an ISO side split balls to the floor. I've done it every day doing, I think it was three sets of 30-second isometrics. For the first week, I was dropping faster and faster, and it was working. The second week, my flexibility regressed massively to the point where my legs were only getting about 90 degrees apart, and the previous PV was a yoga block on its side to the knees. Uh, so then I was like, well, what happened? And it actually, the lockdown on the side split took months to recover from. It would not, the body would not uh, release the range of motion at all. It was traumatizing. Now, obviously, I had quite a traumatic injury in that zone, so maybe your mileage may vary. But it was a complete lockdown. It had to use a lot of very fancy neuro techniques to actually break what had happened or to re-establish range like changing clothes while stretching looking at different colors all these kind of things so uh, advanced wizardry i don't normally talk about but uh yeah to get the range to actually release and display back to a kind of operating range that was acceptable it was obviously quite heartbreaking it took like probably five or six months to get back to the range and to get it progressing again so my yeah my uh, personal adventure and the way i always look at methods is i try them out myself first i hone in on the details the performance the prescriptions then i try them out with uh yeah groups of uh, people i trust to do what i say exactly uh this one didn't even make it into the testing groups because it was just too it was too much and if you see people going isos every day um, i'd say avoid it uh, but strength training every day can be very effective in some ways so uh, it's interesting once again it's showing flexibility training and gaining strength and flexibility training is similar to but not the same as strength training we must remember that so when you are ready remember the cautions on chapter 2 pick only one isometric stretch per muscle group and repeat it 2-5 to five times using as many tensions per repetition as it takes to reach the limit of mobility that you now have 
I highlighted this interestingly because it's the first use of the word mobility in this. And it's kind of interesting to go back to a few episodes ago. I talked about my definition of mobility. And I also talked about the semantics and the words we use are uh, not completely set in stone. And there is arguments over it. Whereas here's Thomas Kurz talking, stretching scientifically, using the term mobility to talk about his uh, flexibility. So is it a mistake by him or is it just these words have different meanings, different contexts, and uh, maybe semantics is not worth arguing about too intensely. Who knows? But uh, definitely something to think about. Uh, here's a good one. So after a few weeks, you may hit a plateau. Regulating the tension and length of the muscles will stop bringing any improvements in your stretches. Do not worry. Do your exercises concentrating on the strength gains you will achieve. These gains are shown by the increased time you can maintain a position, the amount of weight you support, or the ability to stand up, slide out, walk down from your attempted splits. After some time, when your flexibility improves, you'll notice a great increase in your flexibility. Uh, this is one of these interesting things. And what I say is flexibility results come incrementally. They give you a big burst, and then they plateau for a while. You burst and plateau. And see this pattern all over past the beginner point, and it is very common. It's not linear like strength training in the short term. And well, I suppose once you get past the beginner gains, it's the same as strength training. You get some gains, and then it takes a while, then you get some more gains. It's the same with flexibility. And this idea that this is when people get disheartened, where it was working, and now it stopped working, and now I want to try something differently. Whereas you actually have to kind of plow through and reach a certain threshold of increase and then the body goes okay it's safe to display more range of motion i will display the range so bear that in mind when you're when you're getting disheartened and uh you know play with the variables generally what i say is increase the stretches up to about 75 to 80 seconds and isometric holding a consistent iso for 80 seconds is quite difficult you will find it will turn on and off a bit but that idea of like working for that long, then once you can achieve that 60 to 75 seconds, add weight, add enough weight that you drop back down to about 40 seconds without going deeper. And then, uh, yeah, build up some strength there and eventually you will display more range. And once again, it's always like a warming up thing like for strength training. The other thing that uh, Mr. Kurz doesn't mention or Granddaddy Kurz, the Grandmaster of Stretching, does mention is if you're performing these stretches correctly and generally not at your true limit you will generally be going deeper each round uh, this is where things get tricky in programming because you might be going deeper in your splits and then you are planning the whole 45 seconds but then you get so deep that you are only able to sustain 20 seconds it's too intense so what I term as a method of measuring intensity or flexibility is duration in reserve. Uh, how long can you hold the stretch for? And this is one of these things like, oh, it's a very gentle stretch. I could hold it for two minutes. It's a very intense stretch. I could hold it for 10 seconds before having to come out. Being able to understand your own body and how it responds to stretches and elongated positions and the intensity of them by measuring how long you can last in the stretch is one way to do it. So you could spread your legs 160 centimeters and then you might be able to hold for 10 seconds. Well, maybe you need to have some marks on the floor. We go, okay, I might be able to display a deeper split, but I'm going to walk out the split, get the depth, and then I'm going to walk it back in to hold that final long contraction. A uh, very important thing to do. 
and very important for consistent training because a lot of time you just go deeper and deeper and deeper and then you just don't get quality work in. It's too intense. You can't maintain the contraction. And these kind of things kick in. So having marks on the floor or other ways of controlling your depth yoga blocks or other things that can allow you to perform the isometric or the position, whatever you're doing, is important. It's very important. And it's not mentioned here, so I'm mentioning it now. And it's one of the things to think about. It's like, go super deep, and I'm, but then you have the intent of holding a final ISO for 30 seconds. Come back in so you can actually hold that ISO. You will gain strength. It will transfer over. And everything doesn't have to be to the total limit. The facilitation of range as well as strength is the thing. So if as a result of isometric stretching or any other exercises, your muscles hurt, reduce the intensity of the exercise or stop working out so you can heal completely. When the pain is gone, if isometrics as stretches or as strength exercises were the cause of the problem, prepare yourself for using them again by doing normal dynamic strength exercises, gradually, gradually increasing resistances. So what's, you know, resistance training decreases injury. So it's definitely something to do, and thicker cross-sectional area is advantageous. Uh, it's one of these things, like if we think of flexibility exercise, if we can mimic the flexibility exercise but add weight to the limbs, we can get some. The classic one, I will do uh, side, fl- side split flies. That's cool. But uh, how do we do this for pancake and other stuff? Oh, maybe we do standing straddle leg good mornings, or we do... Uh, Hamstring press downs. This is a straight leg hamstring extension, you know, using a band or a cable station. These are ways to think about this as well. Leg curls are always good. Most people need more leg curls in the programming, in my opinion. But this idea that, uh, you know, if you're not ready for it, then doing less. And I've done this before when I first got this kind of book many years ago, and it was useful. Uh, it is also interesting that, uh, these longer duration exercises do build the parallel elastic components, which are theorized in some sectors to be responsible. The damage to them is responsible for a lot of our muscle soreness and sensitivity. And these longer durations, so you're going to see in a second, he recommends 30 reps up to 200 reps. Uh, we see this in like the martial art. I train a lot. We do a lot of our things for putting stretch under the tension, under the tendons and the sinew systems that we would determine in this and doing like, 5, 10, 15 minutes of a single exercise and it builds immense connective tissue strength and it builds a lot of connective tissue changes that are undocumented like I have a lot of changes to my body that are weird like I've grown a membrane over my armpits these kind of gaps in the collarbone you can't get your fingers in and I've seen other ones on more advanced practitioners where tendons feel kind of square shaped instead of round on the forearms and other kind of things so definitely uh definitely worthwhile doing and it's also something that's been co-opted a lot by Westside uh barbell where they'll be doing 100 rep sets of uh um, basically isolation exercise with a band and you know i've used this a lot with my people once you start training one arm chin-ups for them there'll be a feature of your program because that's how the one arm chin-up eats biceps uh, eats bicep tendons so you know, it's one of those things I think a lot of people to attain the one arm chin up, you have to sacrifice one of your bicep tendons. Uh, a lot of people are able to mitigate it or recover from it by doing these kind of 100 rep sets. So think about adding them in. And you can also use them anywhere you feel you get excessive DOMS. Oh, even though I'm just strength training, I have no interest in splits. Oh, I get excessive DOMS in my quads. Do 100 rep leg extensions for a period of time and see how your DOMS is after that. I've definitely done that as well and it works.
Uh, this is the kind of thing, the next kind of few pages are talking about uh, frequency and finding your own frequency. And it's kind of interesting in this that Thomas Kurtz does come around to the point of view that you do have to experiment and find out what works for your body. The general recommendation is heavy isometrics twice a week, like strength training. Training positions twice a week is generally pretty good. But increasing the frequency can work, and the and reducing the frequency is one of my favorites. Actually doing things once a week or once every two weeks is also effective. And it is with isometrics and lengthening isometrics, which I... There's not a lot of research done on these kind of things other than preliminary research. We know there is a difference in what happens when we're in stretch positions versus mid-range versus contracted. So this idea that uh, to talk about is using different timings and using biofeedback to let you know when you're prepared to train and not following a set schedule or experimenting with longer gaps between training is very useful. Uh, here's another interesting ghost. Russian researcher Machiev. Uh, recommends doing isometrics four times a week using maximal tensions held for five to six seconds and repeating each exercise three to five times. Uh, this is the method I followed because my body responds to it well. You may need a different number, strength, or weekly schedule of isometric tensions. So it's kind of interesting. We're beginning to get a hint of how Thomas Kerr has actually trained his flexibility and what worked for him. And uh, This is the kind of thing, like experimenting. There's a few other options in this book. Uh, but we also have coming up Thomas Kerr's own personal schedule and I'll leave that to you guys to read but you can see he trained four times a week with some bonus kind of stretching and he's also obviously training probably martial arts at the same time so yeah it's that kind of thing of uh, depending on the other volume you're training and the other exercise you take part in this may be too much or maybe not enough four times a week is pretty high he was training four times a week, twice with heavy isometric long holds and twice with uh, just light tensions to get out. So just what we would call PNF stretching or post-isometric relaxation stretching. Uh, this is the other quote. Isometric stretches to increase flexibility should be done at least twice a week, but it all depends on your recovery. If your muscles are sore, then no isometric stretches should be done as long as soreness is felt. Uh, as a general rule, Tom, I agree with it. I've also done it and had gains and other people I've trained have had gains when they're still sore. Excessive amount of DOMS is basically it. You want to kind of avoid the stretching where you are not able to stand up from the toilet, like you've done a heavy leg workout. But at the same time, mild and light DOMS, if you've got a DOM scale of like 10 is I can't stand up from the toilet and someone's kicking the door to help me, to... Two is like, okay, I go into the position, I kind of feel something. You can generally flirt it with three or four, is my experience. Obviously, you sort this out for yourself, and you experiment and see what works for yourself, and try things out, and you will find up... You, it's that idea. You want to find out what works for you, and not what works for me, or not what works for someone else. So just bear that in mind. Uh, considerably fatigued muscles are less flexible than rested ones. Boom. So this is kind of one of those interesting ones where... Uh, if you look at the stretch therapy approach of stretching once a week where you uh, stretch once a week targeting your weak links you generally get very sore from this with heavy partner stretching maybe only one set with uh, long holds but then you have a whole week and you'll generally see after this kind of stretching that there's a big decrease in flexibility not for everyone but for most people and then it takes another till the next Sunday basically to overcome this but then you will display more flexibility or the ability to get deeper into the position once you repeat it uh, so this is kind of one of those things like finding frequencies that works for you is key and intensity of the position is also key if it's very intense uh, 
uh, and you only do one, it can be very useful. It's also like getting back to the frequency thing. I know some of my friends who are much more advanced, uh, they've reduced their frequency down to once a month and make progress still. So, you know, and they're, you know, say, I'm thinking of, say, of a friend of mine, Dave Wardman of Physical Alchemy, where he would, he'd probably train once a week on his stuff. And well, I think everyone's limited on classes with heavy partner stretching. And then he'd cycle things over a period of a month and come back and then train and make progress. So it's as you get more advanced, I think less frequency is key. As you are less advanced, more frequency is key. And this can be one of the things where we see a lot of research saying, oh, the most effective way of stretching was five times a week because we took people who've never done any intensive range of motion development work and they're complete beginners and more more coordination of the muscles and education on the task at hand occurs by doing more frequency of training. Whereas once people know what they're doing, they probably need less because they get more out of it, more bang for buck. It's that kind of idea of the effective reps theory of hypertrophy. Well, there's an effective stretching duration of uh, stretching where we can uh, get more out of less by knowing what we're doing because we're better at it. So what follows on is kind of an overview of Thomas Kerr's training week when he was training for the feats range that you see in the program. So, you know, it wouldn't be a bad training cycle to try out with all the things in this book to make it effective and see how it goes for you. Uh, The other thing that I'd like to go on is there's a great book by Thomas Kerr's, which is also a must-have in your library, The Science of Sports Training and plan Science for Sports Training, Planning for Peak Performance. It is a fantastic book, and you obviously get it from Stadion as well, in terms of how to lay out training cycles over a training year. It focuses more on athletics and stuff like this, and kind of sports events and not hobby trainers, but still, applying the ideas in it are quite useful, and even the idea of how you arrange your workouts in a week and how you'd arrange your also training sessions is also incredibly useful. I use it a lot. And it's informed a lot of my choices about how to train people and how we introduce things. So, yeah, bear that in mind. So, on to the isometric stretches. Uh, so, airlines, three methods of doing isometric stretches and different things, different durations and different ways of performing them. There's one quote I want to go. Uh, second method, stretch as much as you can, tense the stretched muscles and hold this stretched and tense positions until you get muscle spasms. Then decrease the stretch, then increase it. Tense it and so on. The last tension should be held for up to five minutes. It makes some people scream. That's actually in the book. Uh, holding a five-minute duration isometric is... Uh, yeah. I've actually done this, and it's not fun. And I would not recommend it. And it's incredibly taxing to actually hold the muscles contracting for this long in a constant steady state of isometric tension. In fact, I'd say it's almost near impossible because they will turn on and off. Even if you build up to it, there is just a kind of point that they kind of can't sustain it. It also, you do have to modulate your intensity of the stretch and how much load you have into it to achieve it. E.g., this would be very simple to maintain if you're doing a seated pancake with the legs against the wall contracting that way. So bringing our feet through the wall or trying to join the legs against something immovable. It would be... I'm not going to say impossible, but doing this in a side split or a suspended front split uh, would be very difficult. So having a very supportive position and choosing your poison accordingly would be good here. So 
In the box, we have tensing the muscles in a position in which they are neither maximally stretched nor maximally shortened, in which their tension can be greatest. It is followed by a greater range of motion than tensing already considerably stretched muscles. So this is one of those things when we're particularly performing our shorter contraction movements. If we're completely at the end of range of motion, then, uh, yeah, you could get a bigger increase the other kind of thing I'd like to point out is with Kit Lachlan system and stretch therapy, they found out over experimenting that getting as far into the stretch as you can and contracting there and not allowing any motions or totally pure isometric was more effective and gave better results. So it's kind of interesting to have these kind of two people who obviously very know what they want, or know what they want to know what they're doing and have experienced a lot, but have very different point of views from experimentation. So I think you should try both out and see what works for you. And uh, yeah, it's like, I think it basically comes down to the skill of contracting the muscles and how much interoception you have and how much you can actually push against things and how much neural drive you can send to this. If you are very flexible and never trained a lot of this, then the amount of neural drive you can generate at the end of the range of motion is very little. If you use this kind of method to increase your flexibility, the neural drive and the ability to contract the muscles will increase as the flexibility rises, so you will be able to contract harder at the stretch positions. So, two points of view on that. Let's share that. Uh, for the greatest effect during a stretch, tense the muscles opposing the stretched one. Well, well, well. What do we have here? What is the tenant of uh, modern methods of mobility? Is train the shortening side of your joint to be immensely strong. And what do we do? And you can see this, like, why do we do pissing dog for side splits and then cue people to turn the side butt on when they're going in? Why do we tell you to pull deeper? Because it lets you display greater range of motion. Remember that. It is pure gold. I've said it before, and I will say it in every single episode of the podcast, probably. This is one of the keys. You don't want to almost, even in a relaxed stretch, you want to have some idea of something is pulling you into it and teaching the coordination. This will obviously help elongate the muscles. It would also perform co-contraction, which provides more stability. It will also provide reciprocal inhibition. Some people say reciprocal inhibition doesn't exist. I would, I'm not convinced. Uh, but either way, this idea of pull yourself deeper, turn the muscles on that are opposing the joint, and then do your isometrics is pure gold. So remember that and implement it. See, this thing, this book has so much in it, but a lot of things are just written as like a throwaway sentence or something that's kind of mentioned in passing and not emphasized enough. So there's a, there's a huge amount to experiment with it in it if you were to dissect it sentence by sentence and go, oh, I'm going to try that today. I'm going to try this. And then you go, I'm going to try this with that freak. And, you know, it's a it's a lifetime worth of work. So, or maybe not a lifetime, but a, a decent amount of time worth of work to find stuff to experiment, to find out what works for me me personally and not just some random thing I found on the net. To increase the tension of a muscle at any given length, put more weight on it. In splits, not supporting yourself with your arms will help. Kind of interesting actually because in Thomas Kerr's videos, he talks about not supporting yourself with the arms at any point. You're always just going to go with the depth you can't support yourself. Whereas here he mentions supporting yourself on your arms. So it's definitely an interesting way and a different way to get ISO side splits is obviously you can increase the weight of your torso. But if you have splits, 
and you're flat for whatever reason, but you can't support yourself, you could start doing isometrics in your split and then gradually start taking more and more weight off and then gradually supporting the legs further down. So you're reducing the leverage. This is one of the things it doesn't talk about a lot, is reducing the leverage on the limbs. We've seen it in the static active where we can bend and extend the legs. And we also see it in splits where we can, instead of supporting ourselves on our feet, we could put supports under our knees and then move them to the calves or the mid thighs or, uh, you know, even stretching on sand as an example would be very supportive and then uh, get used to it. This kind of thing as well from the Kit Lockton research of uh, having something in contact with the ground reduces the apprehension of the position. So I remember Kit showed this to me actually with, I was doing side splits, ISO side splits and he put some, uh, rolled up cushions, rolled up pillows under my legs. Now the pillows were just very soft. They were not got, They were not like solid bolsters or anything, just normal sort of house cushions. And I was able to get significantly deeper because of the tactile feedback that I was supported more. And they weren't reducing, like there was no support. It's just your normal head cushion kind of thing. But I was sinking into it. And we do this on the supported side splits that I shared on my Instagram as well, like supporting it give yourself something to sink into experiencing relaxation then allows you to go deeper in a way that convinces the body that's safer to do so so it is another way to think about size is to reduce the leverage somehow here's another one inhale prior to tensing exhale or hold the breath during maximal tension one of the things we know about uh, isometric training is it raises the blood pressure and we know that exhaling reduces blood pressure so one of the ways to do your isometric is with this idea of exhaling the problem is that if you release or don't, uh, yes, release it or relax at the end of it or let go of too much, then you obviously lose your isometric and have to recontract. It's also one of the methods I use. I'm going to have a whole podcast talking about all the different styles of isometrics. We have overcoming yielding, which everyone knows, but we have a plyometric, we have phasic, we have pulsing, all these kind of types of isometrics that you know, and different ways of doing functional isometrics, blast isometrics, all these types of isometrics that are kind of mentioned but not utilized or known about. One of the ways that I implement isometrics with people is we have a minimal tension, then a high tension phase coinciding with the breathing. So let's say we have the ability to contract 100%. Uh, we have the ability to relax at 0%. So at our isometric as we are doing it, we want to maintain a steady 30 to 40% contraction. And then as we're inhaling, we will maintain that. As we're exhaling, on the exhale, we will increase the tension in concert with the exhale, a nice slow exhale. And that kind of builds up and contracts harder as I'm breathing out. And then I, as I pause in the retention, the retention of the exhale, and begin to inhale, I reduce the tension of the isometric back to my 20-30%. So I'm still maintaining an isometric tension, but I'm building more strength because I'm squeezing harder than I could if I was holding it for 30-40 seconds. And at the same time, I'm still reducing. So it's like going hard, then I'll back off a bit. I exhale, go harder, back off a bit. This can be one of the ways of getting around if you find it very difficult to maintain a 30-second contraction steady. So, you know, play with that. and It works, you know, find a gentle position to try it out with first and then try it in some harder ones, but it is very effective. It's uh, one of the, yeah, very, very effective, actually. Uh, here is a good one. How to select your stretches. Choosing which one to do first depends on the muscle group that you feel is the first obstacle. 
For example, you want to do a full front split, and as soon as you assume the initial position, the stretch you feel the most, or for the stretch, you feel the most stretch in the calves of the front leg. This signals that you should stretch your calves, the muscles of your calf first. This is pretty good. It's like, where do I feel it? What's the restriction? Okay, then I will do my isometric tailor for this. Now, if we know we're only meant to do one isometric stretch per muscle group or per position, then that means you're only going to be doing your calves. This is kind of getting close to stretch therapy thing of removing the limitations. The other way to go around this is, oh, I feel it in my calves, uh, but I want to work my hamstrings. I want to work the full split. I perform a relaxed stretch for about 60 seconds, 70 seconds. The idea of just passively lengthening under a kind of load. Then I'll go back and see how it changes. Does the loading shift into my hamstrings? Okay, awesome. Then I can do a, a stretch for a bigger muscle group. At the same time, I'll bring the calves up. So this is another way to approach this idea rather than just focusing all your stuff on your calves or other stuff. It's the same with like, oh, where do I feel it in my side splits? Am I just training side splits or do I feel it in my shorter doctors, a doctor Magnus, you know, Gracilis, whatever's the limitation, I could focus on that and pick a side split variation that actually fits that or a leg abduction position that also targets that. Uh, definitely one way to go about it and definitely a good way to use biofeedback. Always ask yourself the question, where do I feel it? And why is that? And can I change that? Or is that a limitation? Or a lot of the time the limitations don't show themselves in the position. Like say, a lot of people might be limited in the pancake, you know, legs apart forward fold, for pancake, with the piriformis, but they won't feel the piriformis, they just feel that the stretch is ineffective. So there can be other ways of finding this out if you know the positions and know where can be the common weak links. And it's definitely something to experiment with and go okay can i find once again can i target in on my own personal weak links that limit my range of motion train them bring them up and then i don't have to train the other thing because that will improve both things at once bingo boom we are in business uh so we're going to skip the star arm stretches there's nothing amazing there i'd like to actually just comment if we go to page 61 on thomas kerr's horse stance and it's one of these things that he he once again see assume knowledge that everyone knows what a horse stance is and if we look at Thomas Kerr's horse stance, it's kind of, there's many different ways. I encountered 26 different types of horse stances when I was looking into these many years ago for uh, horse stance, you know, and every martial art basically has a version of horse stance for its own reasons and it has technique points that are important for its martial art and its things that display. But at the same time, it doesn't actually translate the way Thomas Kerr's is doing it. So Thomas Kerr's horse stance, if we look at it, I'll put a picture of it onto the video for those of you who are watching the video. Uh, we can see that there is two things. One, if we look at a line connecting his heels or even his medial malleolus, his basic butthole is exactly above this line. So this means the hips are going forward. A lot of people form the horse stance, the weight going back. And well, not wrong, it's not exactly what's going on here. And this is one of the things that it's, one of the keys to getting the horse stance to side split progression working is getting the hips forward directly above the heels, directly above the lateral malleolus. At the same time, if we look at Thomas Kerr's horse stance, he has a huge degree of knee flexion to achieve this because of his joint segments. Obviously, that knee flexion decreases as his legs go wider. And also relates back to this idea I had on the Pike uh, podcast. We're talking about setting the hips and extending the legs. 
It's the same idea on the pike applied to the side splits. Set the hips in the exact alignment you want with the femurs or as close to it as you can. Then bring the legs wider and bring the legs straighter. So this is what we're doing. It's kind of walking it out. It's the same thing with the bent leg hamstring stretches. We can see this is another way of doing it. At the same time, if the bent leg hamstring stretch is a limitation, it's amazing it will fix it. If it's not a limitation, it won't fix it. And it's one of these things that, as I said, the horse dance side split before is one of the fastest ways of getting side splits if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, straight leg stretches for side splits can be just as effective. It can be taxing on the knees, but they work. And uh, it's not discussed as an option here, but it's definitely a thing. The other one he says is, uh, yeah, two-minute horse stance held with the hips below knees. Do you need it for side splits? No. Is it pretty good to uh, get and a great starting point for them? Yes. Uh, sumo deadlifts are also awesome for this as well. Uh, it's also like that thing. I'll probably measure the angles to give a, an exact picture on it, but it's, it is tilted to the side. It does also look like Thomas Kerr's knees are internally rotated. I've been asked on this before. It looks like they're internally rotated, but they're not actually. They still are in external rotation relative to the pelvis just because of the deep flexion and the knees forward position that makes it appear this way. So he's almost doing a... He's basically doing a knees forward side splits, but in an upright position. So belly to floor side split. That's the configuration the hips and, the hips and femur are in. But with everything kind of rotated 90 degrees, if that helps you picture it. Uh, the other kind of thing he is talking about, uh, that's kind of interesting, he's talking about like, oh, a lot of sports are familiar with this position. Mm, not really, or maybe they are. Like some sports use it, other ones don't. And But the strength builds quickly, so, you know spend six to eight weeks getting up there another six to eight weeks to stabilize it and you'll have it or yeah maybe you won't but uh work on it it's also the idea that like you don't have to hold hip below knees like once again it's this idea that you could hold the deep one or you could hold a higher one that you could build up the time in once you build up the time then you could try and hold deeper uh the other thing what's going on actually when we think about bringing the hips forward is the the glutes, the side butt muscle, as it's known in some circles, has to basically pull the hips forward in this position. Otherwise, if it's not abducting the legs in this position, the hips will go back. So it's one of the keys that uh, think about going straight down and knees forward in your horse stance, and that will help. Kind of like a squat, straight down, knees forward. So he's displaying, you know, onward on this point, uh, once again, side split suspended with the person sitting on his legs. You know, we can't argue. Thomas Kurz is a machine, and it's great to see. And he's still a machine. He's also the inventor of the unbreakable umbrella, which uh, I'm not sure a lot of you know. But yeah, the unbreakable umbrella invented by Thomas Kurz. And it's pretty unbreakable. Uh, there's some great videos of him fucking up some watermelons as well. Uh, caution in the box. I forgot to highlight this one, but I will read it anyway. Uh, full split and suspension uh, a loss of balance may put your muscles out of commission for a year or more your first attempt should be done on objects low enough so that you can rest on the floor without tearing the muscles should you happen to lose your balance yeah I had uh, one student recently who had side splits got down and uh, I challenged he was able to do it in suspension on the other blocks I said okay try a chair split and he tried a chair split on a uh yeah, 
what they try them on some office chairs with wheels that can move in all directions and he ended up tweaking something not bad but it did take the size of it out of commission for a couple of weeks you know who you are and I know you're listening and uh yeah it was nice but uh don't sacrifice yourself for stupid feats of range also like the Van Damme split is the glory in the side split world let's face it and everyone wants it everyone there's not a single person on the earth if you showed them a picture of Van Damme doing splits on the truck and said would you like to be able to do this no one would say no I would not want to be able to do that but people would but secretly we know they want to we know this we know they're lying uh, it's also one of these things I think Thomas Kurz didn't actually slide out into this position in uh, in this I think I can remember reading somewhere or possibly in one of his DVDs he'd done it from a handstand he got into a handstand obviously he has gymnastic background he can handstand there's in some of the other VHS's he had probably find them in your library if you look around he demonstrates it that way and he says that's how he done it so you know uh, sliding into it is a different beast and being able to slide out comfortably into splits you want to be really good at before you try the old chair split uh, the next thing I want to talk about is the calf stretches the calf stretches he has are pulling the toes back in either the foot elevated position or the seated position you know it's okay but I think the calves generally need a decent bit of weight to get them moving so being in a position where you can actually do a single leg kind of calf raise position use your body weight or hold some weight also if your calf stretches have stopped progressing add weight to them like this is you know there's a few machines in the gym, just straight up gym machines that are very useful. And the standing calf raise is awesome for developing calf flexibility because you can really load it up and lock yourself in and holding the handles and be quite safe. And uh, definitely something to try out. Pulling your back with your hands, like I think my calves are probably stronger than my back. So my back will give out before my hands do or before my calves do. So yeah, you know, jacked calves are always good. And just bear that in mind. So moving on, he has a bit about front splits. I'm not going to comment too much about his front splits because it is turned out, and it's not how I would have people do front splits, but that is my bias that I want people to do a square hip front splits. And he doesn't talk about it because he's kind of relating the front split to the sidekick uh, and or the high roundhouse kick, which obviously this thing, it's for martial artists and this is his training. So this is what it relates to. For me and development of bridge and other stuff, we train the front splits with the hip squared and the turned out one we don't really train it you just get it as a side effect of doing side splits and uh, front split training it's also there can be a bias to the lateral edge of the hamstring because of the pancake work the side split work and not a lot of front split work uh, meaning the lateral hamstrings can get tight and stretching them can be very beneficial and very tight zone that we're unaware of so bear that in mind uh here's an interesting one actually and during a kick, the kicking leg displays only dynamic flexibility. Yep. But the stretch on the supporting leg is more like a static stretch, albeit short, even abrupt. Even abrupt is kind of interesting here because we're almost getting into this idea that is it a static position or obviously you can do controlled kicks like you would see in some taekwondo training. But it can also be if it's being displayed quickly in a fight or other stuff, it could also be this idea that it's the internal plyometric style of isometric is happening in this that it's like going into the stretch it pauses and jerks out rapidly to restore to the standing posture of the fighting posture so these kind of ideas of being able to rapidly stabilize and co-contract can be very useful in these positions uh so following on we have some back stretches 
you know, I'm just going to say, backstretching isn't Thomas Kerr's forte in this book. And he's much more flexible as he got a bit older. So obviously he worked on it. But at the same time, there's a lot more to it, I think, and a lot more ways of training back flexibility that kind of we deal with just because of our bias towards backbending and other stuff in our system. But, you know, it's not a nothing wrong and the methods would apply. It's just in terms of what he's displaying. Uh, there's an interesting thing also on this page, 73. I'll put a picture in the video for those watching. Is Thomas Kurz is displaying the incredibly regressed version of the diagonal stretch from Edo Portal. So we can see from a book, and it's also in the older book as well. So even from the 80s, the diagonal stretch was cool. And, you know, he's training it for trunk rotation, not hip extension and everything. But at the same time, once again, no one really invents these things. They don't come out of air. They kind of have been existed in one way, shape, or form or the other. Uh, so the following thing is uh, for the backbending, he demonstrates a counter stretch using the term counter stretch. So first time encountering this word counter stretch. And as I said earlier, it's an important part of a lot of systems and it's definitely worth trying out. So give it a go and think about it and see if it works for you. So uh, once again, at the end of this chapter, there's a recap and a box warning. Remember, a partner in stretching can cause an injury. If you need someone's help in doing any stretches, it means that you are not ready for them. It is better to go slowly but steadily. Uh, I'm going to have a whole episode on partner stretching, so we don't really need to touch on it. But, you know, once again, uh, yeah, old school gymnastic coaching of pushing people into stretches and martial art coaching, pushing people in stretches and probably still pretty common against their will and against their limits. Not great. Done properly controlled with a skilled partner. Amazing. So we're now on to chapter six of relaxed stretching. Uh, so there's an interesting comment. The same person who's, who is, who in using isometrics get into a full side split in 30 seconds without any warm up may take up to 10 minutes of relaxed stretching with no warm up to get to the same position, same level. Within a couple of months of doing relaxed stretches, this time gets shorter. After some more months, it may take you from one to two minutes to do a full split. With a good warm-up, of course, you can do it at once. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree. It's one of these things that, uh, you know, you see rapid changes in range of motion using isometric stretches and contractions, even if you're kind of, you know, coming into training a bit t- tight. And it is one of the uses, like, one set of isometrics isn't really going to trash your training. A lot of them probably will, and one very heavy set probably not great. But using controlled contractions and short contractions and short isometrics in these positions to release them as part of the warm-up or part of getting set for training can be very effective and worth trying out. Uh, the same thing is, like, it's this kind of bias on passive stretching. It can take people time to release and relax into position or for the strength to build up if you're thinking of stretch in that way or the disinhibition to go. It could also be thought about like the analgesic effect of isometrics. They provide analgesia and that would, uh, you know, numb the sensation of the stretch and allow you to go deeper, whereas the same thing happens over a longer period of time of relaxing in the position. Uh, interesting one here. Relaxed stretches decrease strength by impairing the activation of the stretch muscle for up to five minutes after the stretch and the contractile force for up to one hour. Uh, we could say depends on the duration of the relaxed stretch and depends on what you follow it up with. If you follow it up with, uh, as you've seen some of the work of BAM, uh, it doesn't and it's kind of, yeah, 
it's a case by case and a contact usage position to take. I'll be talking about this in a, a def, definitely doing a full episode on this kind of idea, stretching for warm ups and all this stuff. So yes and no, basically. Uh, in relaxed stretching, you want as little weight on your muscles as possible. In splits, lean the body forward, support it on your arms, relax completely. Think about slowly relaxing your muscles. Uh, do not think about anything energetic or unpleasant. Look in... Oh, sorry, I'll cut that later. Uh, this is kind of one of the things that, uh, you know, you still need a certain amount of load to stretch something. And if there is too much load, obviously the body reacts and tenses against it. And if there's not enough load, nothing happens. So as little as possible can mean a lot of different things. As little as possible, someone could be a side split, a suspended side split, and that's what gets them down. Particularly if you're pretty strong or, you know, it's kind of that thing of uh, doing relaxed stretches. Like relaxed stretches are prescribed to everyone in physiotherapy. Do these stretches. But then everyone's basically relying on doing them with body weight. Whereas, you know, for some people, say a big strong guy, big strong powerlifter, you know, body weight might not be sufficient to get load on the hamstrings and leg muscles that are so strong, uh, such a big cross-sectional area, that you might need to add some weight or some resistance or some vector assistance to the position to actually begin to relax into it or begin to let the muscles passively elongate. So, yeah, there is this idea that uh, it's case-by-case and experimentation basis on what actually works. Look in the direction of the stretch and breathe calmly with deep abdominal breaths. Uh, yeah, we've talked about the eye thing earlier, and we talked about how the visual system is related to the range of motion. The deep abdominal breathing is kind of one of these interesting things that it can be even expanded on that we have this idea called the uh, dissolution breathing in the system, where not only are you breathing, but you want to inflate the whole torso and this is one of the things that like we know on our breathing that all basically all the joints will move slightly the body gets slightly bigger and taller and longer on an in-breath on an out-breath it gets shorter basically or reduces the joint opening and this idea of like not just breathing into the stomach because a lot of people when they abdominally breathe they just push the stomach out we want to inflate the torso like a balloon here and then when we let it out everything shrinks back into the core the core center of the body and then there should be accompanying feeling when you do it right of getting tangibly heavier. Obviously, you don't get heavier unless you're chowing down on a burger at the same time, but you will feel heavier. You can do it sitting on a chair or standing up or just lying down to get the feeling right. Once you have the feeling of like, I expand my torso, everything, the joints all open in the body, then I relax, let the air out like a balloon and get heavier. This is one of these... Uh, Things to practice by itself, once you find it in a simple position, seated, standard, lying, apply it in your stretches, in your relaxed stretches. If you can't perform it, you're probably too deep in the position. So, something to bear in mind. So, continues on from this point of just demonstrating some relaxed stretches. Uh, some of them, like, this is the kind of thing, some I say wouldn't actually be relaxed stretches. For me, a relaxed stretch is like, he's standing on one leg lifting the other leg up or lying on the side lifting a leg up and standing side bend on a chair they're all very good exercises don't get me wrong but you know relaxing in a stretch for two one two minutes 30 seconds even while you're holding your leg up uh, while trying to balance is not a relaxed position particularly when balance is involved the muscles will be turning on and off in terms of the equilibrio reception of the body to balance itself so this will mean, in effect, 
you know, if there's, yeah, once there's balance involved, you would be better off doing your relaxed stretches in very supported positions with cushions, bolsters, chair support, hand support, hand, you know, anything you've got that can help take the load off and facilitate support. This will reduce the apprehension and allow you to go deeper. And it's very important and is definitely worth trying. So pad yourself up in your relaxed stretches. Uh, it's also kind of a small bias of Thomas Kurz where he's, He's quite flexible, so the positions he displays, even though he says they are the end goal, are even too advanced for a start goal, even if you regress them for a lot of people, and possibly ineffective, like, say, he demonstrates a perfectly flat tailor's pose, or butterfly position, for, you know, feet together and legs apart while sitting down. A lot of people, like this position, even regress, they won't even be able to sit on the floor, and there should be more regressions provided for very remedial people, and even just assuming a horse stance will do it won't. So, you know... Just bear that in mind. Then he's displaying a bridge also later on, and this uh, is not as great bridge, and not as good as I talked about earlier. He displays a much better bridge now he's got a holder. Uh, in this, as an abdominal stretch, a bridge is a full body stretch. It stretches shoulder flexion, it stretches the torso, and it stretches hip extensions. So say it's just abdomen. I'm going to argue with that, and then counterposes afterwards. Uh, so that's kind of the practical side of stretching scientifically, or stretching scientifically. Uh, he has some sample workout plans that are kind of aimed at different disciplines. If you read the book and you look into it and know the needs of your sports, then uh, then you would kind of should be able to select your exercise and your training programs yourself. Uh, there's kind of one comment I want to talk about: discipline, gymnastic, task of the workout, the development of flexibility, and the perfection of the handstand. In brackets, a task usually usually realized by children. 9 to 10 years old uh, having coached children even once we're selected for national teams in handstands, gymnastics, sports acrobatics circus and other stuff I gotta say I definitely got kids who can do very good handstands at that age I would not say anyone has a perfect handstand at that age maybe some of the sports acro people who are very very good but at the same time not always and uh, not that they haven't got good ones not that they're not doing a lot but I wouldn't say they are perfected uh, yeah anyway they can definitely do handstands would I say they're the best in the world no but you know what I mean so then he's got some sample plans of what you should do and these should be taken more as indicative of what your discipline is what you do and what your needs are and how to begin to plot a training thing coupled with all the other information you should be able to make a training plan you also have uh, Thomas Kerr's the granddaddy range has own personal training plan where you could try slot in select exercises that suit your needs better uh, after that the rest of the book is kind of all the wise stretching that we covered before and then he has an extensive section on questions of answers almost uh, 60 pages of questions of answers uh, I'm not going to get into it because a lot of us is asking does the method work how do I apply for this and it's repeating information he's put elsewhere so it's kind of one of those things, as I said, to wrap up, this book is a must-have for your stretching needs. You need it on your library. As I've given my commentary on it, you can see how I would disagree with it or how I might implement things differently or how things could work in different situations. Uh, other than that, I would like to say a big thank you to Thomas Curls for actually writing this book and keeping it a publication. It's been super helpful to myself. So, if, you know, If you're watching, Mr. Curls, thank you so much. Uh, I do recommend everyone get it. Uh, other than that, I have been the Splits Wizard, Emmett Lewis, 
And this is the Bendability Podcast, and I will catch you next week.